Genesis 13, verse 1. So Abraham left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abraham had built an altar and there he worshiped the Lord again. Lot, who was also traveling with Abraham, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abraham and Lot and all their flocks and herdsmen living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot. Finally, Abraham said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, I'll take the land to the right. If you want the land to the right, I'll take the land to the left. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. Verse 11, Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and part of company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan and moved his tents to a place near Sodom. And Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abraham, Look as far as you can, see in every direction, north, south, east, west. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the Oak Grove next to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much. Uh, We thank you for the reminder that Shemaine gave us this morning, that your word is living, that it is God-breathed, it is alive, it is true. And Lord, I thank you that it is as relevant for our lives today as the day that it is written. God, I thank you for the gift of your word. And I pray that as we unpack it today, as we open it up a little bit, as we take a little bit of a deeper look, Lord, would you give us some revelation today? Lord, would you speak to us? Father, I pray that in every circumstance, Lord, we might find uh, something that you would like us to hear today in this word. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's unpack the story that we're looking at uh, for a little bit. Abraham has travelled back to Bethel and he set up camp with his wife, his servants, his herdsmen and a whole lot of flock and cattle, which he has a lot of. He's very wealthy, he is very successful. And he also has with him his nephew, Lot, who's been with him for some time. And I can imagine he treats Lot a bit like a son of his own because at this point, Abraham doesn't have any children of his own, although I'm sure he loves for a son of his own. He doesn't have one. And perhaps I'm sure he has viewed Lot, as viewing Lot as the son he thought he would have, but does not yet have. And I would imagine he probably views Lot as his successor, as the one who might inherit his name and his land, his family, uh, if he were to have no sons. We also know from the passage that Lot himself has become incredibly successful and incredibly wealthy under 
Abraham's roof. Living under Abraham's roof and under his covering, Lot has himself flourished. In fact, he's become so successful that they began to have space issues. There isn't enough space for both of their um, flocks and for the grazing and the rearing that needs to happen for both Lot's cattle and um, Abraham's cattle. And the herdsmen begin to fight over space. So to avoid conflict, Abraham says, let's go our separate ways. Now, I look at Abraham in this season and I, I kind of try and put myself in his shoes. I don't know if you do that when you read the Bible, you think to yourself, what would it feel like to be them in that position? And as I was doing that and as I read it multiple times, I began to wonder if maybe this season for Lot was a bit of a painful time for him. See, all throughout this chapter, there's this awkwardness, this awkwardness of relational conflict. There's a struggle between them for peace and for unity. But also there's Lot, the closest thing that Abraham has to a son. The son that he's dreamed about and yet at this stage is probably beginning to question if he will ever be able to have Lot whom he has watched out for and who has become and and live under his household and who he has cared for and looked after, who he has taught how to become successful and how to be the man that he's become. He's become very successful under his authority and under his covering. And I can imagine that this was a difficult separation for Abraham, that this this would have been like seeing a son move out of home. This would have been like seeing a son flee the nest and move. And it would have been a difficult time, I can imagine, for Abraham. Just a couple of chapters over, we say Abraham reveal that he's resigned himself to the fact that a servant is going to inherit all that I own because I have no son of my own. And I wonder... I wonder as I read through Genesis 13 if we can relate to that feeling just a little bit. I wonder if we can relate to what Abraham was going through in Genesis 13 because over the last few years, if we look back on what we have all been through, not just as individuals but as a nation and as a globe, what we have been through is a whole lot of loss, haven't we? We have seen awkward relational conflict. We have, haven't we? We've seen it on the macro scale. We've seen it on the micro scale. There's been times where circumstances have caused separation between us. There have been times when conflict has caused some separation between us. It's happened in society, and I have no doubt it's happened in individual lives as well, among family, among friends. It's happened in churches. And there is so much in this short story that we could look at today. We could look at Abraham's desire to prioritize people over property. We could look at his heart for peace over personal preference. We could unpack his generosity and the humble spirit that he has when he allows Lot to choose first, even though it was Abraham's right as patriarch to get first choice. All of these things really impressed me about Abraham. I was reading it going, man, this guy's a good guy. But what I really want to look at today is how Abraham responded in his season of loss. What happens when things don't turn out how we hoped they would? What happens when we thought the promise or the future or the dream looked like this, but it turned out to be this instead? See, here's what I learned about the promises of God through Abraham and Lot's separation. Number one, you ready? I'm ready. All right, I'm just going to go with it and pretend you're going with me. Number one, 
Sometimes the promised land doesn't look the most promising. Sometimes the promised land doesn't look like the most promising. 12 years ago, we moved to Northland. Near, uh, near, uh, we, we moved there to lead our Whangarei campus. And while we were there, we rented a couple of different homes in a small town called One Tree Point. It's not far from Ruakaka, and it's an absolutely beautiful place to live. Picture this, a nine-hole green and luscious golf course lined with beautiful palm trees, including the beautiful glistening lakes. Our home was located on the second tee. No joke, I used to sit out in my garden and watch people play golf. Flat and long pathways for walking and bike riding, playgrounds and green spaces, new and large, generous homes with sections with multiple living rooms and bathrooms, double garages, wide driveways, cul-de-sacs for children to ride their bikes, neighbours who would wave at each other and neighbourhood kids who ran from house to house playing with one another until the sun went down. And all of this, just a two-minute stroll from a beautiful paddling beach, an old school corner store and a fish and chip shop. It really was the Kiwi dream. Fast forward six years and I'm standing in the backyard of our Auckland house. The patch of grass that I'm standing on feels no bigger than a king-size bed. (laughs) If I lean this way, I can high-five my neighbour on my left. If I lean this way, I can high-five the neighbour on my right Surrounded and overlooked by five other houses and under a flight path. I look back into our two-bedroom, one-bathroom, no-garage, 85-square-metre box. And I thought to myself, Lord, what are you doing? What are we doing? Did you really bring us back to Auckland for this? I was like, is this really, is this really what your plan is supposed to look like? Here's the thing. I had to learn in that season was that sometimes the promised land doesn't look the most promising. And while I was really impressed by Abraham's response in the story, like he's so wise and he acted so humbly and he was generous and, and, and he trusted God. More often than not, I'm not Abraham. Like when I read it, as I read it and the more I read it, I realised I'm not Abraham in this story. I am 100% Lot. <laughs> See, Abraham chose by faith, but Lot chose by sight. And I don't know about you, but I probably would have made the same choice as Lot made. Right? It sounded pretty good to me. Lot looked, took a look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoah. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley to the east of them. Lot chose for himself... Lot chose for himself based on what he could see. And he saw fruitful and he saw well watered and he saw beautiful fertile plains. Lot's choice looked like the best choice. It was the perfect place for raising flock. He chose based on what made sense in the natural. It was so clearly the obvious choice. And I have to admit that it was probably the choice that I would have made. Abraham's choice, on the other hand, didn't make sense in the natural. He was the patriarch. 
He was the leader and by birthright and family position, it was his right to make first choice. Nobody would have blamed Abraham if he had said, Lot, you're going that way, I'm taking this land. Nobody would have thought he was selfish. Nobody would have thought that he was uh, taking the best and leaving Lot. with. Nobody would have given it a second guess. But by allowing Lot to choose first, Abraham was not just showing humility and generosity toward Lot. He was also putting his complete trust in the Lord's choice from him. By letting Lot choose first, he was saying, I am trusting in God's choice for me, in God's best choice for me. But by allowing Lot to choose first, it can seem at first glance like Abraham was getting the leftovers. It can seem a lot like he was getting the raw end of the deal, like he was getting the short straw, as they say. However, what we have to realize is the choice that Abraham made by default, the land that he got by default by what looked like leftovers was not leftovers and it was not default. In fact, the land that Abraham got was actually God's first choice for him all along because the, the land that Abraham got was the land of Canaan, which was the land that God had always promised would be his and his descendants. See, it's just that sometimes the promised land doesn't always look the most promising. And that's so true, isn't it? It's so true, isn't it? Isn't it so true that sometimes God's ways look least appealing? Sometimes on paper, they can look like the least appealing thing. Sometimes being obedient to the Lord's direction doesn't look in the natural to be the best option. There are times when the Lord asks us to do something that makes absolutely no sense in the physical, and yet, and yet it is often God's best choice for us. Abraham chose by faith. He chose by faith. He didn't move to that land based on what he saw now. He moved based on what God had promised it would be. God, God chose for him. And it was the best choice for him. He moved by faith. And some of us are getting stuck based on what we see. But God isn't asking us to move based on what we see. He's asking us to move based on what he promised it will be. I can't see how it's going to work out, Lord. That's okay. That's okay because I've got an assurance from God. Right now it feels fruitless, Lord. That's okay because I'm trusting in God's promised outcome. This church right here, Elam Christian Centre, our eight campuses, our church right now would not be what it is today if our founding pastor, Pastor Luke, had, had acted based on what he saw. But he didn't. Pastor Luke made so many choices, not based on what he saw. He made choices about land, about buildings, about campuses, about schools, based not on what he saw, but based on faith, faith of what God promised it would be. Our botany campus is built in an area that is full of houses, full of homes, all surrounded by new suburbs that have come up. But when that land was purchased and when the first foundations were laid on that building, it was in the middle of nowhere. It was surrounded by farmland. There were no houses. There was nothing around them. And everyone thought the man was a lunatic for building a church in the middle of nowhere where there was nobody to come along to church. But he didn't build it based on what he saw. He built it based on what God promised it would be. 
Where in your life are you choosing by faith rather than by sight? By sight rather than by faith. We've got to begin to see what God sees. What's interesting about these two different lands was that Lot's choice in the natural climate looked to be full of life and fruitfulness. But what he found was that in the spiritual, it was actually a place of wickedness and death. And what did not look in the natural to be a place of fruit, the most fruitful option for Abraham actually turned out both spiritually and naturally to be a place that became the very gift of God, bringing life to generation after generation after generation. It's not always about what we see. And sometimes the promised land just doesn't look the most promising. But we've got to trust, trust that God is calling us to step out, not based on what we see, but on based, on, based on what he promised it would be. Amen? All right, the second thing, this is what I learned about the separation season between Abraham and Lot. Here it is. Number two, often we don't need the whole promise, just a reminder that it's on its way. Often we don't need the whole promise, we just need a reminder it's on its way. As I read toward the end of Genesis 13, I found such comfort in God's gracious act toward Abraham in verses 14 to 17. Here's what happens. Abraham, I can imagine, is probably feeling the emptiness and loss of the separation at this point in the story. And my, imagine, my imagination has Abraham standing there as he watches Lot and his family just drift and all the herds and and, and all, that, all those who are with Lot just disappear off into the distance as he takes everything he owns and he moves off uh, to a new land. The heaviness of that season. Many of you, if you've had kids flee the nest, you'll know that feeling, that heaviness of the season, feeling very real in this moment. And then he looks over, away from Lot, he looks over to the land that he's been left with. And it doesn't look super fruitful, and it doesn't look like the best option. And it looks like it's second best. And it doesn't seem to be the better land. And then right there, in that moment, God speaks to Abraham. And this is the words that he leaves him. He says, look as far, verse 14, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants. Remember, Abraham's just said goodbye to the, to the, to the, to the one who he saw as a son. I will give you so many descendants like the dust of the earth. They can't be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I'm giving it to you. God, in his grace, in Abraham's separation season, in this moment of loss, the Lord reminds him of all that he has promised to him. I've heard it said this way. It was the medicine of God's word sent to alleviate Abraham's pain. In Abraham's season of loss, God spoke straight into his place of pain, reminding him of his promise. I recently ordered a light, like a wall light, a light that sticks to the wall and pops out. It wasn't for me, it was for a friend of mine. So I was feeling all the pressure, you know, when you're spending someone else's money, there's a whole lot more pressure that goes on with that. And so I'd ordered this light online, but it had been weeks and weeks and weeks and I had heard nothing. And I began to get a bit worried. And I began to doubt whether I'd put the order in right and did I push go properly on the thingy and did it actually go through and I'm checking emails and I'm 
you know, searching back in my history and I'm trying to work out what's going on and I start to wonder and I start to ask questions. Did they get my order? Did they, did they not have a stock? Did it get lost somehow? Did my order get lost? Did the item get lost? Did it get delivered to the wrong place? Is it sitting somewhere? Who knows where? Has someone forgotten it? Is it in some delivery van somewhere? Did it get missed? Did it get delivered to my house and then stolen? I'm making up all sorts of scenarios. And then I got an email. And you know what that email said? It said, your parcel is on its way. You know that those are the sweetest six words I ever did hear. Why? Why? Because they gave me the confidence I needed to know that I didn't have it yet, but it was coming. I didn't need to know when. At that point, I was just happy. I knew it was on its way. I didn't even need to know how. I didn't need to know who. I didn't need to know what company. I didn't even need to hold it in my hands. Just knowing it was on its way was enough to give me confidence and assurance that I would one day see it in my hands. And often it's like that when we're waiting on God for things, isn't it? The struggle that we have in waiting is in the unknown. It's in the mystery It's in the silence. But God's word is like medicine to us in those seasons because it gives light to the darkness of the unknown and the mysterious. We may not have the promise in our hands, but we can, through his word, have an assurance that it's on its way. I have prayed so many times in my own journey. There have been times where I've prayed, Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I have no strength. Lord, I'm weak. Lord, where are you? Lord, it's too hard. Lord, but you promised. Lord, I need you right now. Lord, I'm giving up. And then I've opened his word. I've opened my Bible in those seasons of desperation and I've opened his word. And it's like the most beautiful gift as his word is like healing balm to me. And in your season... I want to ask you today, are you leaning into God's word? Are you allowing him to remind you of the promises along the way? Look to his word for assurance and confidence. God's word said to Abraham, I'm giving you all you see. Abraham simply had to trust God for the outcome. Abraham didn't need to live there right now. He just needed to be reminded that one day he would. And that's what gives us confidence to step out into what God is calling us to do. Often we don't need the whole promise. We just need a reminder that it's on its way. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me now. See, the third thing that I've learned in this story of Abraham and Lot's separation is this. When worship becomes your attitude, any land that you are in is the land of promise. I'm going to say that again. When worship becomes your attitude, any land that you are in is a land of promise. See, something I noticed about Abraham was that everywhere he went, the first thing he did was set up an altar and he worshipped the Lord. It was both a habit and a non-negotiable in Abraham's life, a clear and a deliberate decision that he was going to establish a life of worship. And we find it here at the start of Genesis 13, and we also find it at the very end of Genesis 13, He built an altar and he worshipped the Lord. He built an altar and he worshipped the Lord. All of Abraham's life was worship. That's the result of believing God's promises. Worship flows easily from a heart that trusts the Lord. 
And when your attitude is one of worship and gratitude and honour and exaltation, it's easy to see the goodness, the faithfulness at work of God at work in your life because you see it. Your eyes are open to seeing it in everything. Our youngest son, Rocky, he sees the good and the joy in everything. He's one, I describe him as he's not a glass half empty or half full person. He's a glass overflowing person. He sees the joy in everything. And he has absolutely no trouble expressing it. In fact, when we go on holiday, my favourite thing to do is to sit and listen to Rocky's synopsis at the end of the day. Because it doesn't matter what we do. We could have been to Disneyland on day one and stayed at home to play board games on day two. And at the end of both days, he would very clearly announce, it was the best day ever. Because when gratitude, when gratefulness is your attitude, anything you're given is a blessing. When thanksgiving is your attitude, any day you wake up is a gift from God. When worship is your attitude, any land that you are in is the land of promise. That's how Abraham lived. His whole life was worship. And our worship, I need to tell you today, our worship isn't limited to the two slow songs that we sing after the two fast ones at church on a Sunday. Nor is our worship limited to or by our gift or lack of gift. When I was in my late teens, I was on the worship team. And uh, one Sunday, the worship pastor asked me if I could open the song, sing the first few lines solo on my own. The problem was that there were two songs that had real similar uh, opening lines, but very different tunes. And I started to sing the song and I got the two songs mixed up. As soon as I opened my mouth, I knew I was in trouble. I was singing the wrong words to the wrong tune and the wrong key. To this day, it remains to be the most embarrassing moment of my life. I am very thankful that it was the day before the days of the online service. There is no permanent record of my stint as a worship leader. Thank you, Jesus. You do love me. You do still sit on the throne. But here's the thing. You don't always have to get it right. You don't always have to sing in key. You don't even have to get the words right to be a worshiper, to live a life of worship. And I may have failed in my career as a worship leader. But you best believe I will be the most passionate worshiper in this room because I don't care if I can sing it all right. And I don't care if it's my favorite song or not. And I don't care if it's a little quieter than I like it to be or a little louder than I like it to be. And I don't care if it's a fast song or a slow song. I will build an altar to the Lord and I will worship Him there. And I'm not waiting for it to get to the bit that I like. And I'm not waiting till I've warmed up and I'm not waiting till I'm in the mood. I will build an altar to the Lord and I will worship Him there. And I'm not waiting for my circumstances to get sorted out. And I will not wait for the circumstances in my life to change and I'm not going to wait until I feel like it. And I'm not waiting until I'm having a good day. I will build an altar to the Lord and I will worship Him there. Why? Because worship changes my perspective. It gives me new vision. 
it builds my faith and it helps me to see the land that God has promised He would give me. Amen. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I want to ask you this. In this season right now, are you in a season of feeling loss of separation? Or maybe you're in a season of unanswered prayer or maybe there's a season of pain of disappointment. I'm just praying today that you've been encouraged by Abraham's season. I pray that you'd be encouraged by knowing that sometimes the promised land doesn't look the most promising. We have to choose by faith and not by sight. Often we don't need the whole promise. We just need a reminder that it's on its way. And I pray that God's Word to you is a reminder of His promise and that it's like healing balm to you. And I'm also going to pray today that God would make worshippers of us so that any land that we are in becomes a land of promise. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you now. We pray that you would stir us to become people of faith and not sight. That we would learn to move in step of in steps of obedience, trusting your choices for us. We put our trust in you, Lord. We put our hope in you, Lord. And we trust as we move and as you lead us and guide us, oh God, that we are that we're able to walk into the promises that you have for us, even if we don't recognize it at first. Father, we thank you for the healing power of your word. May we lean in and dig deep into your word that we might find hope and light there. I just pray and believe right now that there are some people today who need that healing power, need that healing balm over their lives. Maybe they're giving up. Maybe you're feeling really discouraged right now. Maybe you just... So feeling so weak, you just don't have any strength left to believe anymore. I'm just really believing that even just this word right now has been like healing, healing balm to you. And Lord, would you give us a heart of worship? God, make us worship us, that we might have an attitude that knows your presence and promises in all that we do. We love you, Lord.